many of you know that I'm kind of a crazy college basketball fan. And if you are, you would know that a week ago Friday was the start of the college basketball season. And I got to kick it off in great fashion. Uh, you might expect, though, knowing that I'm a most passionate Indiana University basketball fan, that I'd be hunkered down at home ready to watch at 9 p.m. the IU-Kansas basketball game that was in, played in Hawaii on TV. But I got an opportunity to go to the opening Purdue game in Mackey Arena live. So live basketball won out over watching basketball on TV. And uh, let me say, all you Purdue fans, you're going to have much to cheer about this year. They're pretty darn good. <laughs> you can clap. That's all right. <laughs> Just know the IU applause will be louder. No. <laughs> Sorry about that. Back on subject. But I noticed something about myself. I happened to get the IU game on my cell phone on the way back from the Purdue game, and I noticed as I was watching, I was feeling pretty casual about it. And I realized there was a reason for that, because I didn't expect IU to win. I mean, IU was ranked 12th in both polls. Kansas ranked second or third. Kansas had more returning players. On paper, everything would have say that Kansas should win this game. So I just kind of expected, you know, just make a good showing, make it close, and I'll be very excited. And then I got home right about halftime, so I sat down in front of my TV and watched the second half. And after a while, I started realizing they could win this game. In fact, I think we got as much talent as Kansas got. And all of a sudden, I was really into the game. And I'm, I'm yelling at the refs because they're, they're making way too many foul calls. And I start riding the ups and downs. IU would get close, and then they fall behind, and then pretty soon they're ahead, and they can win the game in regulation, and then they blow it. And I'm screaming at the TV. Fortunately, won. But as trivial as that example might be, it's a reminder to me that contentment has a whole lot to do with what your expectations are. And as hard as it is, is to achieve a contentment, the answer, the solution is within our own hearts and minds, is it not? Same reality. What's going on inside me is what makes the difference. Now, it seems appropriate to me that today we recognize the team that went to Guatemala because I think a common experience, if you have any spiritual depth at all, when you go to a developing country, you not only go and say, gosh, I need to be thankful for all the many blessings I have, but something deeper should happen. You should begin to realize that these people who don't have nearly as much as us, they seem pretty happy and content too. And it's kind of a revelation. I mean, we went into Guatemala and it's got 3 million people that don't have access to safe water. The uh, education level, 22% of the children, only 22% of the children go beyond 6th grade and many of them don't even finish 6th grade. That's all the government will pay for. Uh, the diet is primarily tortilla, so 70% of the population is malnourished and 58% of the Mayan children will have stunted growth because of the lack of nutrition. They live in tight quarters. We learn that many of them are doing everything they can to make some income. Some of them work for about 50 cents an hour, making things that they can try to sell somewhere else. And yet, as we walked around Panahashel, as we went to other villages, we found a lot of people that were very happy and content and so very friendly to us, even though it was obvious we didn't belong there. 
They welcomed us. They smiled as we walked down the street. And it teaches you that it's not what you have that makes you happy and content. It's what's inside that makes the difference. And unfortunately, we live in a culture that keeps telling us over and over again that we have to have so many things. You've got to have this product. Make sure you don't have too many wrinkles. You've got to have these products because they'll make us happy. We've got to go to these vacations because that's when we'll find peace of mind, get away from it all. So many messages bombard us over and over, inundated with these messages that we have to have more and think that that is what brings us true contentment. But it's not. I even uh, heard that most national television for car commercials are not designed to convince you to buy that car. They're convinced you not to have buyer's remorse. That's a real thing because... They're using that advertisement to convince you that when someone asks you how do you like your new car, you'll say, oh, I love it. we got so many messages telling us otherwise. And it happens in so many places, does it not? I mean, how many of us long and look for those days that we can retire? Think of how nice it would be to do whatever we want, that freedom. Now, have you ever talked to somebody who's retired? And often have to go find something else to do because they just don't like sitting around doing nothing. Even this week I experienced it. You know, I was kind of excited that during basketball season, Nancy took off to California for a few days because I could watch as much basketball as I want. But you know, after a couple of days, it gets kind of old. You kind of miss that person that you share everything with. Contentment is something that happens inside of ourselves. I was uh, struck by the story of Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer currently coaches the Ohio State football team. But he has an interesting story. He had a book that came out recently. And in that book, he describes he's become very open about the challenges and struggles he had while he was the football coach at the University of Florida. There he won two national championships in 2006 and 2008. But things came to a crashing Head as he realized he was not happy and content because he had to win every game. I was moved by how he described what it was like for him. After he won the national championship in 2006, he said everybody was celebrating, and then as soon as it was over, he felt a panic because he wondered people will think that it was a fluke, and so he has to go out and win it all again. After he won the national championship in 2008, while everybody was celebrating in the locker room, he went and locked himself in his office and began texting recruits, sending them messages because if they don't come, he can't continue that success. It all came crashing down on him in 2009 after having an undefeated regular season. And then he lost in the SEC Conference Championship game to Alabama, 32-13. to That night, he did his typical routine where he chases down two ambience with a beer just to get to sleep in order to get just four hours of sleep. He woke up with his chest hurting to the point he thought he was having a heart attack. They rushed in the hospital and found out it was just anxiety. And then is when he knew he had to do something. So he retired from the University of Florida at the end of the season, began trying to figure out how to get a handle on his compulsion. And he said, you know, it's not so much a mental illness because he's discovered that most of his most successful football players have this same trait. But it's something you've got to manage 
and handle. And so he took time off. He began to read his Bible. He started talking and having conversations with friends who had helped him in the past. And he began to take walks. He learned to relax. And then he got word that Ohio State's job became open. And he had this longing that he's got to do something. His purpose, he thought, was influencing young men. And so he went to his family and asked for permission to take the job. And they made him sign a contract. Said all the things that he would do to make sure he took care of himself. And he had to sign it in front of his three children and his wife. He gave permission to his wife at any time. She's a psychiatric nurse. She knows what she's doing. To say if she's seen signs of of him falling back into those habits that she can let him know. He had a spiritual friend who called him every single day. He learned to take walks. He tries to manage it. But what Urban Meyer learned is much the message that we see in the Apostle Paul that contentment is not something that happens automatically. It is something that you learn. Let's take a look at the passage once again. Notice that Paul twice says he's learned to be content. Contentment's not something you're born with, and it's also not something that just comes automatically when you are converted to Jesus Christ. It's not just when you experience baptism. All your problems don't just go away, but it's something you have to learn, he says. And notice how he describes that experience that he's had to learn to have much, to have plenty, but he's also learned when he's had very little. And in there, I think, is the cue for what we need to find contentment in our lives. It is found by living each and every day with God at your side. You're there with God when you have those exciting, wonderful blessings, but also you turn to him and you thank him in those times of struggles as well because it's the sign that you're declaring God is still sovereign. He is still Lord. I like the quote by William William Barclay. He describes a contented Christian is the one who best knows God's sovereignty and rests in it. And gosh, that's been true in my own life. Times I've had the deepest struggles is when God has helped hold me together. And I look back to those times and realize it was through God's grace and not through my own power that's got me through it. But I also have discovered that when times are great and the many blessings are coming my way and I got this temptation to get this big head thinking that some of it's my own doing, God sends somebody along the way to humble me. He just always does. Contentment comes by walking each and every day, whether it's a high or it's a low, and having God share in that experience with you, walking together in it. So, if you're still struggling with finding that contentment, or it's something like Urban Meyer you fall back into once in a while, let me give you a few things to think about, especially this Thanksgiving week. First of all, find somebody, pastor, a counselor, or a friend who's not afraid to tell you the truth, and think through what is the messages that you've been listening to. Where's your thinking? We often discover that we've got wrong beliefs that just don't help us. We think we've always got to strive. We think we always have to have success. Urban Meyer had a friend tell him one time, do you think when you die and go to heaven that God cares what your one loss record is? What a revelation that was for him. 
Secondly, I would recommend that you learn to let God be God. Because so many of us are still trying to please a parent who is unpleasable. Or we had that favored sibling who seemed to always do everything right and perfect, and you just can't live up with that. Or you're just really good at comparing yourself to others, and you look around and you see what you don't have, or you think a successful life means you have to be in this place or experience these things. When you do that, you're letting those people take the place of God. Let him be your satisfaction. Let him be your confirmation. Let him be your affirmation. Third suggestion I make is do something for someone else. Because when you're discontented, the focus is so much on you. All you can see, and that becomes a downward spiral. So doing something for someone else helps put your eyes on somebody else. I love that the discipleship team has come up with this random acts of kindness as our Advent devotional. What a smart idea. And so many good things that you can do. I like the one where pay for somebody's meal that's behind you in the drive-thru line. Or donate to a Salvation Army bell ringer. Bring in a neighbor's trash can. I hope you got a good neighbor if you're going to try that one. And here's my personal favorite. Send a note of appreciation to one or all of the pastors. That, that's December 6th, by the way. But do something that puts the focus on someone else. And the last thing I would suggest, especially this Thanksgiving week, is to cultivate, create a new habit of thankfulness where it becomes a regular part of your routine. Whatever it takes. Some people do a gratitude journal. Every day they sit down and they write through the things they were thankful for, what they experienced that day. Or use your cell phone. You can send it to give you a reminder each and every day at a certain time of the day to stop and just thank God. Or reorient your understanding of what this worship experience is about, that it's not just about getting some, some good information, it's not just hearing a great song, but it's just the place to come and say, thank you, God. Thank you for this, this, and this. And share our gratitude. Because when we focus on others and begin to see the good begin to experience the resources God has made available for us always, each and every day. So if you struggle with contentment, I hope that you take comfort in knowing that it's something that can be learned. It's something that can be developed as we live each and every day in the presence of God. Let us pray. Lord, it seems to be part of the human condition to be discontented hard to stay in that, that good place. But may we know that you understand that. You, you had Adam and Eve who still had to go find that apple in spite of all that they've been given. And we're not much different. So help us to discover, rediscover that sense of contentment by turning over our struggles as well as our joys to you each and every day through Christ who is our Lord. Amen.